0: The Apostle Paul, as he writes his epistle to the Christians at Rome, he does so in the opening verses of his letter, describe for us those that he has in mind, those to whom he is writing this letter. We find in the verses in chapter 1 of Romans that he describes them in really basically a, a threefold way. In verses 6 and 7 of Romans chapter 1, we have that threefold description. In verse 7, he is speaking of them as the beloved of God. Or if we wanted the literal translation, it would simply be the loved ones of God. Or, we could put it another way, God's loved ones. So he's conscious in his own mind that it's to God's loved ones, the beloved of God, that he is writing this epistle. Then he also gives them the description of being called, and he speaks of their calling in a, in a twofold way, in a twofold sense. He speaks of them as the called of Jesus Christ. In verse 6, he's speaking of those who have been summoned by God in grace to come and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So he's writing to those who are the saved of the Lord. But he also says in verse 7 again that they are the ones who are called to be saints. They have received that effectual call in the gospel. And they're now saved by God's grace. And they can be rightly described as saints. And the meaning of the word saints is the set apart ones. Those that have been set apart from sin unto holiness, those that have been set apart from Satan or the devil, unto God, they're called to a life of separation from sin and a life of separation unto godliness and unto holiness. And then if we had time, which we don't have to read through the various chapters in his letter as we would read and come towards the end of his epistle. We find in particularly towards the the end, he is making many exhortations to these believers, to those who are the called of God, the called of Jesus Christ. He's speaking and exhorting them and encouraging them in many, many ways in the light of who they are and in the light of the one who has saved them by his grace. For example, when we come to Romans chapter 12, He gives the exhortation in verse 2 that they are not to be conformed to this world, but he says, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. He's exhorting them that they should not be conformed to this world. What in essence is he saying? What is the meaning of that? Be not conformed to this world. After all, they are in the world just as we are in the world even now. They were in the world at that time that he was writing this letter to them. He's really speaking about being separate and not being ruled by the world system. And what do we mean by the world system? Very simply, a system of men and things living and existing in alienation from God and under the governing power of the devil. And that is this world system. And here is the apostle exhorting these believers not to be conformed to that world system. He gives them another exhortation. Many will not uh, mention them all, but he gives another exhortation following on from this to help them and to encourage them that they would adorn their profession of faith while they're in this world. How? By drawing all their power for a holy walk with God from Jesus Christ Himself, who is the source of all real and true holiness. In fact, He's saying to them, and I trust you will see this in the message, He's really saying to them that Jesus Christ is their soul's apparel, their soul's Clothing, He is the one who is rich and lasting and will give a perfect beauty unto the soul. Thus, he gives the exhortation at the very end of Romans chapter 13 in verse 14 in the words of our text. For he said, but put ye on. Remember who he's exhorting here the believers in Christ, the beloved of the Lord, the called of Jesus Christ, put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. So the theme that I want to draw your attention to for just a few moments is simply the spiritual apparel of the believer. And in the context of the text, I think we could uh, describe the theme as wearing, wearing our spiritual apparel as those who are the called of Jesus Christ, those who are called to be saints, those who are the loved ones of the Lord. So with that theme before us, let us come and consider what is being said here in verse 14 of Romans chapter 13. I want you to notice first of all the the activity to be engaged in. Here the apostle says, put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. The verb there gives us an understanding of what he's really saying. It gives the meaning of the, the exhortation that he's giving. And the verb is simply the verb to, to put on. And the meaning of the verb is to put on in the sense of going into. When you got ready for a God's house today, you put on your dress, or you put on your your suit, you put on a garment. You could say that you, you got into the garment, you got into the suit, you got into the dress. That's the sense and the meaning of the verb here. It's to go into as you would go into a garment. And going into the garment, you would then be clothed by that garment. That garment would then be your apparel. It would then be your dress. Now, we find that this verb to put on is used in a twofold way in the Scriptures. It's used in a, really in a, in, in a literal sense. We have it, for example, in Mark 15, verse 17. They clothed him. That's the same verb. They, they put on him. They clothed him with purple and plaited a crown of thorns and put it about his head. We have the same verb again in Mark 1 and verse 6. John was clothed with camel's hair. That was his dress. That was his apparel. Then we have it used not just in a literal sense, but we have it used Figuratively, just used as a figure of speech. You find, for example, in this same 13th chapter of Romans in verse 12, put on, it's the same verb, put on the armor of light. And whenever Paul is writing to the Colossians in in Colossians chapter chapter 2, we find in verses 12 to 14 that he uses the same verb again, and he is speaking about This garment, this clothing, getting into it, being clothed, he says, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, the beloved ones of the Lord, remember, you're to put on bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. So we're to put on like a garment, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what our our text is saying here in Romans 13 verse 14. Put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. You are to wear as your your spiritual dress in your Christian life the very character of the Lord Jesus himself. You're to put him on so that your character will be conformed more and more onto his image. Because he is the the matchless garment, suitable for every believer. And I emphasize that, suitable for every believer. Suitable in all situations, in all conditions in life, in all circumstances that we face as we as we go through life, you know how it is. If we think of the physical garment, it depends what you're going to do. If you're going to do some work, you might put on what you would say is your work clothes. That'll be the garment. But then if you're going somewhere else, you'll take off the work clothes and you'll you'll put on another another garment. And then thinking of the physical garment again, it's not... It's not every garment that's going to be suitable for every part of the body. There will be those garments that are suited to the upper part of the body. There will be those garments that are suited to the lower part of the body. But the Lord Jesus Christ is a complete suit of apparel from head to foot for the believer for the one who's in Christ no matter what clothes we might purchase we can wear them for a while and we say you know when I bought that suit it was probably nearly the best suit that I could buy but you've been wearing it for some time and you keep on wearing it and then eventually you say you look at it I think it's time I had another suit I I think I'm going to have to buy another suit I'm going to have to make another another purchase because this suit it's it's really worn out but not so with the Lord Jesus Christ he is as new upon the soul at death as upon the soul when that soul was first quickened by the spirit and came to trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior he is the garment the apparel that so Invaluably rich that all the treasures of this world could never purchase a part of that garment. Put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice how it's phrased: put ye on the Lord. He's your master. You're his servant. You're to be his servant in everything. Put him on as Lord. Put him on as Jesus. He's your Saviour. You overcome through his precious shed blood. Put him on as Christ. He is your anointed, your anointed prophet, your anointed priest, your anointed king. You're to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And our text says, put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh. Make not provision for the flesh. The flesh here is just speaking about our, our old depraved nature, our sinful nature. And he said, you're not to make provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. That is the lusts of the flesh. When we read the word lust or the plural lusts, what are we thinking of? What what do we have in mind? The lusts of the flesh, very simply the, the evil desires, the sinful desires of the flesh, the old nature. And those lusts, they have a voice. And with a voice they cry out. That voice of our sinful nature crying out to be satisfied with sinful things and sinful pleasures. But the text says, put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh. And the word provision is just a compound word made up basically of two words. One of them means to think. It's good to think, isn't it? And the other one means beforehand. So when we bring them together, we get the meaning of the word. It's to think beforehand. If you are going to make provision, you know, have invited some friend or friends to your home and you're going to think beforehand before they come. Maybe they're coming for dinner. Maybe they're coming for tea you're going to think beforehand you're going to do that in order to make provision for them. Well, here the text says, put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh. And remember to whom he's writing. He's writing to God's loved ones. And they're in Rome. And Roman society was a society that set out to make abundant provision for the flesh for the old sinful nature and he's now writing to these saints of god and he's saying put ye on the lord jesus christ and make not provision for the flesh when those lusts of the flesh cry out for satisfaction make certain that you have on the lord jesus as your spiritual garment your your spiritual apparel so that it's seen that he is your spiritual apparel. When we put on a garment of whatever kind, others can see what kind of a garment it is. And so we should have put on the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ as our text says, so that others will behold him and see him as we seek to live for him. But you might say, well, that's fine, preacher you're telling us about the exhortation to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh, but how do I do that? How do I put on the Lord Jesus Christ and therefore not make any kind of provision for the flesh? Well, that brings us secondly to speak to you about what we need to have an awareness of. An awareness of, by that I mean an awareness in our our own mind and in our own thoughts. Some Some simple things, but very, very important things that we need to have an awareness of. We need to have an awareness of our acceptance in Christ, our acceptance in Christ, and we need to be aware of what that really means. We often say, and rightly so, that as the people of God, we are accepted by God And before God in the beloved. And who is our beloved? The Lord Jesus Christ. We have an acceptance before God in him. As Paul said in Romans 8 and verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation. To them that are in Christ Jesus. But you might ask the question. Well how does having that awareness help me. In the battle with with the flesh. The flesh that very often rises up. In all of our hearts. The flesh that we do battle against daily. And yet, don't we, even as believers, don't, don't we still sin? Sadly, we still sin. We do. You do, and I do. We still sin, even though we're accepted before God in Christ. But unless we have an awareness clearly in our minds that we are accepted before God and Christ when we do sin, we can become very, very discouraged. Maybe even to the point where we say, well, if I, if I have just said that, how could I be saved at all? If I have done that or thought that, how, how, how could I, I say I'm saved? Am I really saved? Then you maybe begin to doubt your justification if you really are the Lord's. I'm not talking now about living in habitual sin, but I'm talking about those occasions when sadly we we do sin, we do stumble. We could get so discouraged that we wouldn't even come before the Lord to confess that sin and seek the cleansing of the precious blood. And there's something of a lukewarmness comes into our hearts. And the devil's busy saying, well, hardly worth pressing on, is it? You would be better suited just giving up. Abandon the faith. But oh no, let there be that awareness. Though you have sinned and you come before the Lord, confessing that for fresh cleansing in the blood, you have an acceptance before God in Christ Jesus. Let there be an awareness of your acceptance in Christ always. Something more to be aware of. Be aware of your union with Christ in his death and resurrection. Be aware of your union with Christ in his death and resurrection. Ephesians one four tells us that we're chosen in Christ. Ephesians one seven tells us that we are redeemed in Christ. It's really saying that all of the blessings come to us. All of the blessings come to us in Christ. As Paul says in that same first chapter of Ephesians, we're blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So he's really in effect telling us that the Lord Jesus Christ is the great reservoir of all the blessings that God will convey to his loved ones. To all who are the beloved of him. All those blessings come from Jesus Christ. But then the question might arise in the mind, well, how does God get someone who was a sinner into contact with all the saving merit that's in Christ? And that's a good question. And there's an answer from the Scriptures. And Ephesians chapter 2 gives us that answer. I'm going to turn to it for just a moment, because remember, we asked the question, how does God get us into contact with the saving merit that's in Christ? And when we're speaking about being in Christ, we're speaking about being in union with Christ by faith. That's how we're in union with Christ. It's by faith, believing on him. But in Ephesians chapter 2, you'll notice in verses 5 and 6, there are... Three three verbs again here mentioned. Verse five, even when we were dead and sins hath quickened us, made us alive. Paul's writing to these Ephesian believers, and he's making the contrast in chapter two with what they once were out of Christ in their unsaved days, and what they are now in Christ, when the Lord saved them. And he says, Ye were dead in sins, but you have been quickened hath quickened us together with Christ then you come to verse 6 of Ephesians 2 another verb and hath raised us up raised us up he says you were once dead because of your trespasses and sins but you have experienced a spiritual resurrection you have been raised out of the out of the grave of sin you have known the quickening of the Holy Spirit of God in your heart and in your life. So you have, been, you have been raised up. And then again in verse 6, and made us sit. Made us sit. So we've got the quickening, being made alive unto God. We've got the raising up and then made sit. This is life. Life eternal, life imparted in the quickening, being made alive towards God, the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit, the manifestation of that life, a spiritual resurrection has taken place, and then there is also the exaltation of that life. And he's wanting them to understand how this has all come about. You see, they were quickened. They were raised, they were seated with Christ when God, by the operation of his spirit through his word, imparted life. And that brings me to say this. We're not only saved by Christ. We are. We are saved by Christ. But we are also saved in Christ. We're also saved in Christ. What Christ did for us he did as us that's a tremendous gospel truth what he did for us he did as us he died not only for me he did but he died as me he rose not only for me but he rose as me Or he's my representative. And he's my substitute. And we need an awareness of this glorious truth. Because when we have that awareness, then I want you to think for just a moment of what Paul says when he's writing, again still to these same people, In Romans 8, he says, If ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. How do you through the Spirit mortify or crucify the deeds of the body, the flesh? Well, the Spirit reveals to us Jesus Christ. And he shows us that Christ died for our sin. He died for our sins. He had no sin of his own. But he died for our sins. So we must then die to sin by the very same instrument. And by that I mean the cross. What crucifying power to the flesh is there in a believing sight of the cross work of Jesus Christ? And when Paul was writing to the Galatians, it was as if he was standing under the shadow of the cross, beneath the shadow of the cross, as if he was viewing there the one who offered himself and died for our sins on the cross. Do you remember what he said? God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he added these words. By whom, that is Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. That's why I say we need to have this awareness of our union with Christ in his death and in his resurrection. And again, still keeping to Paul's letter to the Romans in Romans, Romans chapter 6 in verses 10 and 11, it's summed up for us. Verse 10, For in that he died, speaking of the Lord Jesus, for in that he died, he died unto sin once, he died unto on sin once. But then, come to verse 11 for a moment of Romans 6. Likewise, now this is the apostle's argument here. Likewise, he has said in verse 10, for in that he died, that is Christ died, he died unto on sin once. Likewise, reckon ye or count ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. you see the link? You see the connection with the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. Likewise, reckon or count ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. Because he died for us and as us. But then go back to verse 10 again. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, And doesn't he live in the power of an endless life? He died, but he rose again, triumphant over death. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. We come to verse 11. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God. How? Through Jesus Christ Christ. Our Lord. And there it is. Reckon on this, he says. Count on this. Consider this. Be aware of this. And live accordingly. Having died unto sin, your old position in Adam has changed. And there's a new man now in Christ. And there is now a living unto God. God. That's why still in Romans chapter 6 in verse 12 Paul went on to say let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body because Christ by his death and resurrection has broken the reigning power of sin. Likewise then reckon on that count on that. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it in the lusts thereof. He's saying you, you reject the reign of sin in the sense that you know that sin is a usurper. And when sin would give its orders, oh you should do this, oh you should go there, oh you should watch this, oh you should believe that. You put on the Lord Jesus Christ. By saying, oh no, I'm in union with the one who died for me and rose again. I'm in union with him. And in him I died to your lordship. I died to your mastery. And I'm a new creature. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. So you face the sinful lusts that rise up. And you just say who your true master really is it's no longer sin oh yes we've said we do sin but we don't go about habitually sinning do we we are going to put on the lord jesus christ and that's something that we have to do because our text back in romans 13 14 put ye on the lord jesus christ The sense of the verb that we've already looked at, to put on, means to put on for yourself. Put on for yourself the Lord Jesus Christ. You're saved. You're in Christ. You're in union with Christ. You're accepted before God in Christ. You're accepted in the beloved. And you're to put him on. You're to be clothed with Christ. He is to be your spiritual apparel your spiritual dress but then there's also not only that acceptance in Christ and being aware of that and our union with Christ in his death and resurrection but there is as as we close our submission to him as Lord our submission to him as Lord because when we're saved we're not our own the Bible tells us we've been bought with a price. So what does that mean in a practical way, in a practical sense for, for godly Christian living? Oh, we have eyes, yes, but they're not our own to just view what we like. We have ears to hear, but they're not our own just to listen to whatever we like. We have hands, but they're not our own in this sense, just to do whatever we like. Feet, but not our own, just to go wherever we like. You see how practical it is, putting on the Lord Jesus Christ, being aware that I must be in submission to him so that I'll not be laying up provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. For if I'm, if I'm doing that, then I'm not really living in submission to him. And what's that saying? That's saying, well, I'm, I'm really opposing my Lord's authority. I I'm questioning my Lord's wisdom. I'm in a measure putting a big question mark over his love. I'm, I'm despising his word. For his word is the lamp to my feet and the light to my path. I go according to his precepts. I go in submission to, to his commandments. You see how Jesus Christ then is our spiritual apparel. And we need to put him on, put him on daily so that others will see something of him. Something of him. And that's a great challenge, isn't it? When you ask yourself that question, how am I living as a professing believer in Jesus Christ? Is Christ being seen in the way I live? In the manner of my living? In the things I do? Is Christ being viewed? For just as we said, we put on the garment. It's there for others to see. I'm not saying we put it on just for that reason, but others do see it when we wear it and we should have so put on the Lord Jesus Christ, that others will see we're one of His. We belong to Him. We're identified with Him, and we're not ashamed. We're not ashamed. We'll be in obedience and in submission to Him as one of the Lord's sheep, because that's a mark of being the Lord's. You're in submission to him. May the Lord help us by his grace to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and not make provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. Let's bow in prayer. Our gracious God and Father in heaven, we come again before thee in our Savior's name, and we give thee thanks for thy word. And we ask that thou will take thy truth this day and apply it in the power of thy spirit to each of our hearts. Help us daily to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and not make provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. How we thank thee for the one who died as our representative and our substitute, the one who rose again, and the one who is even now at thy right hand, whoever lives to make intercession for us. We ask that thou wilt be pleased to separate us now in thy fear and with thy blessing. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be the abiding portion of each of God's children now and forevermore. Amen.